Jesus taught his disciples what we call the Lord's Prayer. Some call it the Disciples' Prayer. But I want you to look at the words. In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Now, when we pray these words, we're declaring our desire for God's kingdom to be set up on the earth and for God's will to be done amongst men. Remarkably, in a series of revelations given to the prophet Daniel, we're told that there certainly is a time coming when God's kingdom will come literally to this earth. And the Lord Jesus will be the one who reigns over that kingdom. Of this coming kingdom and its king, we read this in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Now when you see the years in which this prophecy and the others are given, that's remarkable because we're talking about 600 odd years before the coming of Christ or 2,600 years ago when this was revealed. So let's see what we can learn between uh, the prophecies that were given and and uh, their fulfillment and the time that we're in right now, there's much to be fulfilled in God's word. And there's yet just one more great world kingdom to come before the kingdom that will never end. So I want you to come with me for a brief survey from the book of Daniel, which re- uh, reveals quite mysteriously and yet incredibly accurately a procession of world kingdoms before any of them came into being. Now, before I get into this, I do need to say to you, the kingdoms we'll be looking at here, the kingdoms in prophecy, are all as they relate to Israel. So some of you might say, well, hold on, there were other great world kingdoms than these ones you're talking about. Yes, but these are as they relate to Israel, because Israel is right in the center of what God is doing prophetically. All right, now Daniel, he was taken from Jerusalem into exile to Babylon in the year 605 BC. This was under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. Within a short period of time, he and some of his other young Jewish friends had really impressed uh, the, the leaders of the time, and he was selected to be one of the special ones who would go through training and then he and others would enter on a career path as wise men of the kingdom. Now you can read about that process in chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. Over his many years in that role as one of the wise men, three times God revealed to Daniel specific details of kingdoms that were yet to come. And though each revelation is different in detail from one another, they all prophesy the rise and fall of the same kingdoms. 
So here we go. The first revelation came in 604 BC. This is the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And uh, the king had a dream which troubled him greatly. Now, those of you who may have brought your Bible with you, and it's always good if you're coming to a prophecy uh, sermon to bring a Bible with you. If you have your Bible, you might like to open to Daniel chapter 2, because that's where we'll be working from to start off with. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. I don't know whether you dream. I dream every night. I can't remember what I dreamt, but I, I know I dream every night. I wake up and I, for a little while I'm quite aware of what I dreamt. But Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and when he woke up, we don't quite know if he couldn't quite remember what his dream was about, and he wanted to find out, or he could remember, and he wanted to be quite sure that his wise men gave him an accurate interpretation of that dream. But the king got his wise men together, and he commanded them, first of all, I want you to tell me what I dreamt. Sound a bit difficult? And then after you tell me what I dreamt, I want you to tell me what it means. And of course, they weren't able to tell him what he dreamt. What a a request to make. And so the king ordered the execution of the wise men. He said, righto, if that's how it is, you're a bunch of fakes. I'm going to have you killed. So they start executing the wise men and they come to Daniel. And when they come to Daniel, uh, he orders... Uh, He asks for a little bit of extra time. Now, he's probably about 17 years of age. He's a very young, wise man at this point in time. So he asks for extra time so that he could pray and ask God to reveal to him exactly what the dream was about. And, of course, God very graciously gave him the details of the dream and its interpretation. And, And this... I don't know whether you've ever done any studies in Daniel, but this blows my socks off as I work through this. And this is what Daniel said to the king in Daniel 2.28. He said, There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And then he told him this dream. Daniel 2 and verse 31. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace was found of them. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. So that does sound like a dream, doesn't it? It's a sort of mystical, unusual, I saw this strange thing in my dream, and that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamt. And then Daniel tells him what it means. So this is what he's dreamt. 
That's what it looks like. Here's the great stone coming from out of heaven. Daniel now tells him what it means. Verse 37. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hands. we won't have a repeat of last Sunday night when I lost my voice you watched while a stone excuse me you watched while a stone was cut out without hands which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away. No trace was found of them. The stone struck the image uh, that struck the image became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay, now here's the interpretation. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength and glory And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and he has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom. Now I want you to notice how many times the word kingdom is used. After you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. And then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, insomuch as iron breaks in pieces and scatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. So we're talking about kingdoms. We're talking about world kingdoms. There's actually five of them here. Five of them are man-made. And they're symbolized by this huge statue that we see there. These are followed, all those kingdoms, followed by another kingdom that's established by God. And verse 44 speaks of this other kingdom. And it says in verse 44, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven, set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand 
forever. Now, with parallel revelation and the events of history as an indication, we can work out these are the actual kingdoms that are referred to. Here we go. First of all, the head is Nebuchadnezzar. That represents the kingdom of Babylon. The chest and the arms being silver represents Medo-Persia. And I want you to notice two arms, two nations joined together, Medo-Persia. The next one, uh, the thigh, represents Greece. The next one uh, is uh, Rome. That's represented by the iron legs. And then the last one represents a kingdom that is yet to come, and it's a mixture of iron and clay joined together. So we're down here, and I want you to notice the statue has ten toes. Everything here is symbolic. Let's leave that for a moment and come to the second revelation. Because the second revelation Daniel had regarding these kingdoms came some 51 years later. So it's not like one night after another night. This came when he was a 17-year-old, and now 51 years later, yes, 68 or so in age uh, is our man Daniel, God shows him a dream and a night vision. And this is recorded now in chapter 7. And here, Daniel saw these things. First of all, he saw the great sea stirred up and then a series of strange creatures coming up out of the sea, emerging from it. The first thing he sees is a lion with eagle's wings and then a bear raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth. Then a leopard with four wings and four heads. And then a fourth beast which is terrifying and very strong with huge iron teeth and ten horns. And you're looking at this and you're starting to say, oh my goodness, uh, there's so much symbolism that's involved here. Well, let's see if we can unpack some of this. In the ancient world, horns was a, a reference to power. And horns for an animal, for example, the fierceness of that animal. So this fourth beast that's mentioned here has got ten horns. It's very powerful. It's very fearsome. It's very ferocious. I want you to notice this one down here, the lion with eagle's wings. I don't know if any of you have been uh, to the British Museum, but if you go there, you will see an image that looks quite a bit like that. And where did it come from? It came from Babylon. Because that was the symbol of Babylon, the lion with wings. So in the same way that we were talking before about Nebuchadnezzar being the head of gold, now we've got another image all these years later of a lion with eagle's wings. And we're going to see how these other ones fit in very shortly. As Daniel is considering the ten horns on this beast here, this is the one that's taken his attention because this is a really ugly, ferocious-looking beast. And as he sees this, he sees another kingdom emerge. He says in verse 8, I was considering the horns, that's the ten. There was another horn, a little one, coming up among them before 
whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. So in the symbolism, uh, we're getting up here to this little guy here, the beast with the little horn, and he plucks out three of the big horns. So what are we talking about? And right at the moment, if you're a little bit confused by where this is going, it will explain itself as we go through. Because we, we learn very soon that this little horn refers to another king who would arise out of the fourth kingdom. Here's the fourth kingdom. He would arise out of this fourth kingdom. That's why it starts with ten, and he arises out of the ten. I wonder if you can imagine the confused thoughts that Daniel must have had, the revulsion he must have had of seeing all of these ugly creatures in this night vision and probably thinking back to that great statue and and the idea of kingdoms and where's it all leading? You could just imagine that even as uh, he's getting into his older age, he's he's, uh, uh, 68 or so in, in age, And he sees this thing. You can imagine his revulsion. And right here we learn a lesson about how God reveals prophecy to us. If you're ever reading prophecy, look for God's encouragement. Because right in the midst of the heavy stuff, God always gives us a word of encouragement. And so that's the situation here in Daniel 7 from verse 9. And this is what Daniel writes. I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. So that's straight after that, what he's just seen. The Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn, that's the little horn, was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain, the one with the little horn was slain, and its body destroyed. And given to the burning flames. And then the promise of ultimate victory, which should give a real thrill to every one of us here tonight. From verse 13, this is what Daniel sees. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one that shall not be destroyed. Have you read those words in the New Testament? Because that's very similar to what we read. One like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. This is reflected in the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 24 and verse 30. 
this is what Jesus said. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now the message of Daniel is made clear as to its meaning. So from verse 17 we read this. Those great beasts, which are four, we saw them on the screen before, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So Daniel is shown, here's these kingdoms that are going to come, but a time is coming when the saints of God are going to possess the kingdom and that will never end. What confidence and what assurance of that coming kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Now Daniel wanted to know more about that fourth beast. It was a fairly intriguing beast. It's one with a little horn and, and the ten horns. How does it fit together? So from verse 23, we can learn something about it. Daniel 7:23. The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this nation. And another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints will be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Students of prophecy will immediately recognize that this corresponds exactly to the yet future reign of the Antichrist, who will be a conqueror, a blasphemer, a persecutor of the tribulation saints for a time and times and half a time, three and a half years. I had one of our pastors in our church back home, a young fellow who's our youth pastor. He said to me, I don't see where you work that out that that's three and a half years. It just says the time. So I showed him how it all fits together. I don't have time to do that tonight. But this represents three and a half years. Again, Daniel is given a heavenly perspective on what has just been revealed. Now in verse 26 it says, But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion. So in other words, this one that's coming, who comes out of the old kingdom of Rome, out of ten nations, he's going to come up among these ten nations, he's going to knock down three of them, and the other seven are going to join with him. And then he's going to become the leader over the whole thing. In verse 26 it says, But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion. That's after the three and a half years. To consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve 
and obey him. So 2,500 years ago, God showed Daniel that this evil ruler, who is yet to come, he hasn't come upon the earth yet, who is yet to come, and whom we refer to as the Antichrist and the evil kingdom that he's going to head up, shall be completely destroyed and immediately replaced by the everlasting kingdom which follows it. So what we're talking about is something that's going to take place starting from the midpoint of the tribulation period and for three and a half years Antichrist is going to be that one world leader that we have all heard about for a long period of time. Sometimes people are saying to me, oh, well, we're headed to the one world leader right now and it's the United Nations and they're going to get all the nations. Sorry, folks, read your Bible. The one world leader who is coming is the Antichrist and he will come at the midpoint of the tribulation and he will be one who will be the conqueror. He will take over uh, the ten nations of Europe or coming out of the old uh, Roman Empire, if you like. He is then going to rule over the whole earth and everybody will be required to bow down before him. That's what the scripture talks about. Now, I don't have time to go into talking too much more about that. We'll have a little bit more. But when we get to talk about more about end times, you'll see how that part fits together. There's one more revelation. We've had two so far. One was a, a great statue and it represented the different kingdoms, five kingdoms. And now we've had beasts coming up out of the sea and they've represented five kingdoms. But there's one more revelation that gives us a little bit of detail about two of those kingdoms. And I love this because this is so detailed. This is so accurate. This is so amazing that only God could have revealed it. And this is what I love about it because when we put it together with the rest, we suddenly say, oh my goodness, this is amazing. So let me show it to you. It comes from Daniel chapter 8. This is another two years after the last revelation. So this is about 551 BC. Daniel is now about 70 years of age. And he has a vision in which he sees he sees himself beside the river Ulai. Now the river Ulai is about 400 uh, kilometers east of Babylon. So if you try and think of the Middle East, there's the Mediterranean, you go up here near the Euphrates and down here is Babylon and we're going towards the east about 400 kilometers to the east by the river Uli in this vision chapter 8 verses 3 to 8, Daniel sees a ram a ram with two horns, here we go let's have a look at this ram with two horns and the two horns one is higher than the other And this ram is pushing towards the west and the north and the south. Nothing could stop the ram. And then he sees a male goat. And this male goat with a huge horn right in the center of its head is coming from the west. Now these are real directions. This is not uh, just figurative language now. The real goat, well okay that's figurative, but he's coming from the west. That's real. Somebody coming from the west with this huge horn represented by uh, this uh, 
this goat. And there's a ferocious encounter that takes place between these two animals. They butt heads together. They fight together. And the goat breaks the horns off the ram and then tramples him to the ground. So the goat is victorious and the ram is decimated. Now, then, Daniel then writes of what would ultimately happen to the male goat, the one with the, with the, the single horn. In verse 8, it says this, The male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in its place, four notable ones came up towards the four winds of heaven. So what's this all about? A ram and a goat now in the figurative language that we're given. What does it mean? Well, fortunately, we don't have to wonder. The meaning is revealed, and it's revealed with incredible detail to Daniel. And I love this because when somebody says to me, well, how how do you know what that represents? Because the Bible tells us. In verse 20, it says, The ram which you saw having the two horns... They are the kings of Media and Persia. Wow, that's pretty clear. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. Wow. So we know that this represents... Oops, sorry, I went press the wrong button. And to press this one. So we know that this this uh, ram here with the two horns represents Media and Persia. And, and do you remember one horn was higher than the other? You see there were two nations. The nation of the Medes and the nation of the Persians and the two of them uh, came together but they, they weren't equal. The Persians came to prominence and overtook the Medes. They were more powerful than the Medes. Just like one horn is higher than another horn. And and the goat with the single horn, well this was Greece under her great conquering king Alexander the Great. And you say, what about the four horns? Well, Alexander died in 323 BC at just 32 years of age. He'd swept all the way across, yes, from the west, from Greece, all the way across to India. This was a mighty kingdom. And then he died. And when he died, he was replaced by his four generals. They took over his kingdom and divided it into four. So what have we got? We've got Macedonia and, and Greece. This is up here. And that's run by Cassander. And then you've got uh, here with uh, Lysimachus. We've got Thrace and Asia Minor there with Lysimachus. And then you've got Syria. And that's taken over by Seleucus. And then down here in Egypt, this is taken over by Ptolemy. And guess what's right in the middle of all of this? We've got the land of Israel right in the middle of it. The prophecy then continues in verse 23. In the latter times of their kingdom, 
when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. This is a bad dude, this guy. His power shall be mighty, not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Now the holy people is referring to the people of Israel. Who was this in history? Well, the armies of Ptolemy down here and the armies of Seleucus They fought against each other for years, battle after battle, to gain supremacy in the area. And uh, eventually, by the year 198 BC, the Seleucids were in control. From that kingdom of the Seleucids, a powerful evil king arose in 175 BC. His name was Antiochus the fourth. He called himself Epiphanes. That's his own name for himself, which means God manifest or God made visible. I'm God made visible to everybody. That's how he saw himself. And this man was a type of the Antichrist. And this is where it becomes very interesting for us because this is history. The Antichrist is yet prophecy. Prophecy speaks of his power and his dominance over the area, including Israel. And Daniel continues in chapter 8 from verse 11. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host. And by him, that's by this king, Antiochus, the daily sacrifices were taken away. That was from the temple. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. That's the temple. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices. And he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and he prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking. And another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation? the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now we know from history that from 171 BC, Antiochus unleashed his anger towards the Jews and he murdered millions, not millions, but thousands of them. He murdered thousands of them. He plundered the holy temple in Jerusalem. This is history. And he desecrated it by offering pig's flesh on the altar. And then he erected a statue of Zeus there in the temple. This statue of Zeus is referred to in Daniel 11.31. And I want you to hear this carefully. It's in Daniel 11.31. This statue is referred to as the abomination of desolation. As Christians, we've heard those words somewhere else. The abomination of desolation. Now this era only came to a close on Kislev 25, 
165 BC. And you're going to say, Kislev? Yes, that's one of the Jewish months, which are a little bit different from our months, because there's only 30 days in the, in the uh, Jewish month. And uh, often this comes in December. And uh, some years it comes on December the 25th. And people get a little bit confused between this particular festival that the Jews celebrate and our Christmas. But what the Jews celebrate was the end of the Maccabean revolt and the cleansing and the rededication of the temple, which took place in Kislev 25, 165 BC. So this event is remembered and it's celebrated every year right up to this day because of the miraculous thing that happened. They had enough oil for one day for the for the the, the oil burners to burn in the in the in the cleansed, rededicated temple. But it burned for eight days. It was miraculous. And so Jews to this day celebrate Hanukkah or the festival of lights. Light came back into the darkness. Light came back into the temple because it was cleansed again. It was a place of God again. And that's significant for us because it makes us think of some of the things that are yet to come. Daniel 11 goes on to show us that this man, Antiochus, is the forerunner of the Antichrist, a man who will show even greater contempt for the things of God. His actions and persecution of the Jews that is yet to come will far surpass that of Antiochus' epiphanies. So Daniel looks down now through the ages. And in Daniel 11.36, Then the king shall do according to his own will. Now we're talking prophecy. The king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women nor regard any God for he shall exalt himself above them all. We'll learn more about this evil man and his reign when there's time to go through the tribulation period in detail. But this yet future kingdom is not the last kingdom but it is uh, going to be the last kingdom of man before the kingdom that God has established comes. So let's combine what we've learned from Daniel's prophecies onto one chart. Uh, as the the king from the everlasting uh, as to the king from the everlasting kingdom, when we can consider this, the scriptures as a whole, we can clearly identify who that's going to be. But let's let's combine them first of all. Let's have a look. So we've got this great head. There's Babylon. There's Babylon. We've got these two shoulders of silver. That's Medo-Persia. That's Medo-Persia. Then we've got the the, uh, the thigh of bronze. That's Greece. And then we've got the legs of iron. That's Rome. And then we've got the feet of clay. That's the kingdom that's yet to come. The feet of clay. Iron and clay mixing together. And that's going to be somewhat of a revived Roman Empire. How do we know? Because we know the little horn 
will arise out of the previous kingdom and that previous kingdom has been the nation of Rome. So we know that he's going to come from somewhere in that sphere of the Roman, the old Roman Empire. But what about the one who comes with the everlasting kingdom and destroys all of this? Jeremiah tells us uh, some things and Isaiah tells us some things. Let me start with Isaiah. And you've heard these words before, but you may never have put them into position with what I'm talking about here. Listen to these wonderful words which we all share around Christmas time. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Here we go. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government or the rule or the dominion will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So the government's going to be upon his shoulder. That's never happened. Jesus has never sat upon the throne of David and ruled over the kingdom of Israel. He's never done that. But that is yet to happen because God has said that it's going to happen. Let me give you another one from Jeremiah 23 verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Some people say there is no kingdom to come. The kingdom's up in heaven. There's no kingdom to come upon the earth. Man, when I read my Bible, I see kingdom everywhere. There is a kingdom to come. It's called the everlasting kingdom. And it's where Jesus is going to be upon the throne of David. The throne of David is not in heaven. The throne of David is an earthly throne, as it always has been. Behold, the days are coming here. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness. Where? In the earth. There is a kingdom coming that will last for a thousand years upon this earth with the great king who will rule from Jerusalem over the whole earth for a thousand years. The heralding of his sovereign rule is foretold in Revelation 11 and verse 15. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. So we praise God. May his kingdom come. So what can we learn from this study tonight? The different things that we've been sharing. Here's the first thing. 
prophecies of these kingdoms began in 604 BC before any of these kingdoms other than Babylon had arisen. They were repeated in different forms three times during Daniel's life and ministry. Think about the accuracy of the two. Two arms, two sides of the bear, two horns. Prophecies of Greece came 200 years before Alexander even lived. And then the splitting of his kingdom into four parts. Who would have known that? Only God knows that sort of information. And out of the fourth kingdom, Rome, ten kingdoms will eventually arise. That is yet prophecy. Ten will arise out of the, Rome, of the old Roman Empire. From those ten, three are going to be uprooted by the little horn. The other seven are going to bow down to him and allow him to become the leader. If you want to talk about a one world leader, that's the point in which he will come. He won't come before then. That's the point in which he will come. So out of the ten kings will come one kingdom which will be composed of metal mixed with clay. That's how it's described in the prophecy. So we know that there's something wrong there. We know that metal and clay don't stick to each other properly. Does that mean it's democracies and dictatorships? We don't exactly know how it's going to work out. But we do know that's how it's described. And it's not going to be a very cohesive kingdom, though there's going to be a great authority at the top of it. The sixth thing we can see here is that there is just one more world kingdom to come upon the earth before the millennial kingdom. Dear friends, why should we doubt God's word when prophecy has been so accurately fulfilled already? Why should we doubt it? Why is it that sometimes we doubt that God loves us or we doubt that we're saved or whatever? We need to take God at his word and believe what his word has got to say to us because God has shown us the end from the beginning. That's how we know he's God. Only God can do that. So we can trust him and we can trust his word. So where did we start? We started with this wonderful prayer. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. I don't think you'll ever be able to pray the Lord's Prayer again without thinking of the great kingdom that is to come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Christmas time, we sing that that wonderful Christmas carol. I, I love it as a Christmas carol. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. You know the one? You know that was never written as a Christmas carol. That was written about Christ coming back to his kingdom. Joy to the world. There's going to be a time of blessing and joy such that this earth has never known and peace and righteousness and justice. People are going to live to a long age. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. That's what that hymn was written about. But we know it also applies to his first coming. But it's actually about his second coming. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So we're asking God, God, sustain me through this time. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, forgive me as I forgive others. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we say, your kingdom come, Lord. That is the call of every Bible-believing Christian. Your kingdom come, Lord. Now the opportunity to be part of that kingdom is now. Because between now and when this kingdom comes, there is this one more world kingdom to come during the tribulation period. Before the tribulation period begins, we will have the rapture of the church. Those who are genuine believers right now will rise to meet the Lord in the air and we will be with the Lord through that seven-year period and we will be coming back with him, as the scripture says. Those upon the earth who are not yet Christians, some of them will become Christians. The scripture refers to them as those who come out of the great tribulation. We call them the tribulation saints. But many of them will lose their life for their testimony and for the stance that they will take. So the time is now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the church age. We haven't reached the tribulation period yet, although there are signs that things are getting in place ready for it to happen, but we haven't reached it yet. If you do not know the Lord Jesus as your own and personal saviour. I I plead with you, not for my sake, but for your own sake. You need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own and personal saviour. Not because your parents believe. It's got to be your own faith. That Jesus died upon the cross for you. That he was raised from the dead. That he now lives in heaven seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us he's not on David's throne he's seated at the right hand of the Father and right at this very second he's interceding for each one of us before our Heavenly Father that's the love of our Saviour of the great Messiah if you do not know this Jesus please come talk with me come and talk uh, with Pastor John or, or Pastor Jeff about this because this is something that's very very important for you to get sorted I don't know when the tribulation period will begin and all this will come into place I have no idea but when it comes if you haven't been part of the Lord's family now you will find that there will be a very different situation that you'll be facing in that tribulation period so I am implore you to trust him as your Lord and Saviour but also to think of him as your coming King and for those of us who already love the Lord, he's our soon and coming King and so we say with the end of the scriptures Maranatha, even so come Lord Jesus because we're looking forward to the consummation of all things and the establishment of the kingdom, the great kingdom and then at the end of the kingdom well there's more to come after that we can talk about that next time Let's bow our head before the Lord and ask his blessing.
Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before you now having looked through the prophecies that you gave to Daniel. I'm looking forward someday, Lord, to meeting Daniel, the wonderful stories that he will have to share of his relationship with you, though earthly things won't matter in the same way, I guess, by the time we get to that situation. But Father, he was a mighty prophet of God. We thank you for using him. We thank you that by your Holy Spirit you spoke through him and we thank you that even in our day today you combine your word with your spirit so that you can teach us right now these same things that you taught Daniel. We know there is one more kingdom to come upon the earth. We don't want to be part of that. We pray, Heavenly Father, for your grace. Please help us, Lord, to live our lives in light, in light of our relationship with you and that soon and coming kingdom. May you ever be glorified in our lives. Please bless each of us as we go to our homes this evening. I pray, Heavenly Father, that in our families we'll talk about these things, that we will worship you, that we will serve you, that we will look to you and we will keep looking up waiting for that day of redemption. May you be glorified because you're worthy. And we thank you for loving us and for the great grace you've shown us. We will ever be grateful through all eternity. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved and continues to save a rich like me. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Sharon, would you like to come in? We just want to pray for you both before you go. Um, I'm really, really grateful that, uh, first of all, I'm grateful that you guys came out to um, listen to Colin tonight, to be informed. And uh, but, but we are really thankful that you have come and shared your wisdom with us. Isn't it amazing? God equips so many people for so many different ways to bring the wisdom of his word, the truth of his word to us that changes us, that makes us hungry for his kingdom business here on earth right now. So we just want to say thank you so much for the passion that you speak with, but that, Sharon, that you let um, Colin come out and do this. <laughs> All right, can you just come? I'd like something to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you raise up people to serve you in certain ways in your kingdom. Lord, you challenge our hearts, you give us passions for certain things. And I just want to thank you for this couple who have grabbed hold of your ministry call in their lives to speak about the wonderful things that you have, the mysteries that you have within your word. That some of these mysteries can be revealed to us that we can know them as truth. So I want to thank you, Father, for them. I pray that you bless them in the ministry that you've called to, called them to that they will seek your face and your grace and will step in your ways as you call them and draw them in the ministry that you have before them. We do pray that you bless the ministry of Friends of Israel. Lord, and we thank you for Israel's place in this particular time. We pray that you, the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's what we do tonight. We do pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Lord. We see in history that it's been so beat up over the years. So, Lord, we just want to bring the nation of Israel before you. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name.
So once again, thank you so much. Uh, one of the things I really love about prophecy um, is is that, as as Colin has already said, it can bring us hope for the for the for the prophecy that already has been fulfilled. We can see that we have a God who who we can trust, and He has spoken about the gospel. And yet, sometimes what happens is that when we look at the end times, it can be a little divisive. People have this point of view and people have that point of view, but it shouldn't divide us. It should just encourage us again, as Colin said, to go out with the gospel in this in this time. This is the call of the church and the hope that we receive from revealed uh, prophecy is that which is, is that which should inspire us to go and do the work that God has called us to do now and to look forward to the things that He will. So, uh, Colin, can we have a little question time? If, uh, we only have a few minutes, so if, if there is a couple of questions that are really burning on your heart, stick your hand up right now and we'll, we'll um, I'm sure, Colin will love to answer those for us. it is <laughs> okay uh, in a very brief way uh, if you take the scriptures literally you end up with what we're talking about tonight that is a literal kingdom that is to come if you take the words of Jesus when he talked about uh, the one uh, that he gave little and uh, you know his uh, um, uh, the, uh, the talents the one to whom he gave much he expects much and, and all of that sort of thing and it says uh, when the when the farmer came back the, the one who had oh, how does it go the, the, the one that, that he'd given yeah, one had buried it and the others had, had made multiples. And at the end of that it says, uh, you know, the, the, the one who has been given a, a little will be given much to do. And the idea is what we do in our life now is reflected in the kingdom that is to come. That's the point I'm trying to make. Other people take a different view of the scripture and they say, well, some parts of it are taken literally. Other parts of it are to be spiritualized. You can't understand any of this stuff. It's all prophecy. It's all up in the air. You can, it can mean different sorts of things. Uh, there's no kingdom to come. Uh, I've had a minister sit across the table from me and tell me the, uh, when I said to him, uh, there's a kingdom coming of a thousand years. The first thing he said was, uh, no, it doesn't say a thousand years. And I said, well, it does. I see six times in Revelation 20. And he said, no, the, the millennium is the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. I said, but that's 2,000 years already. It could be longer. And he said, yes, the, the, that the idea of the millennium, it's just a long period of time. It doesn't mean a 1,000 years. And I said, well, why does it say six times in Revelation 20, 1,000 years? He said, it doesn't. I said, I'm sorry, it does. He said, no, I'm sorry, it doesn't. And I said, well, I don't want to be contentious about it. So he got his Bible out and he had a look and he opened it up 
And as true as I'm standing here in front of you, he went, and he looked at me and he said, why would it say a thousand years? And I'm hello? <laughs> because it means a thousand years. So it's how you interpret the scripture. And some of the mainline churches interpret the scripture literally, except for prophecy. Prophecy, they spiritualize. And uh, they say that uh, the, the, there is no kingdom to come. The kingdom is in heaven. They say Christ is sitting on David's throne in heaven. They say Satan is bound right now because that's the only way they can fit it in. And you look and you think, what? It doesn't even make sense. But that's why there's a difference. So what the scripture teaches for you and me and for those of us who take the scriptures literally is that there is a kingdom to come. Christ will come back and we will reign upon the earth with him. And he will use us according to how we have lived for him in this life. Yes. Uh, it may be slightly different wording. This is New, K New King James uh, version, so a couple of the words may be different, but you won't get very much different uh, from that. Some of the, the later editions, for example, uh, say... Uh, they finish here. They don't have this part that's in orange. Uh, so that's some of the some of the, the uh, versions that are, are around. Uh, but this is what we call the majority text. Uh, the greatest number of texts that we have from the ancient world uh, have this as the ending uh, for Matthew chapter six. <laughs> oh well, you must have a super beauty. Uh, but this is this is the one that's in Matthew chapter six, from verses nine to thirteen. <laughs> okay. Any other questions? One of the things that happens as you start to get a bit older is when you get a bit tired, it's a bit hard sometimes to think through everything. And uh, I find that when I get a little bit tired, sometimes I can't remember a specific detail until something flicks in my mind and then I got it. Yes, John. There are the notes. And uh, those notes will be over on the table. Uh, they're actually in my, in my uh, little case there at the moment, but they'll be over on the table as soon as we finish tonight. Any other questions? Okay, you, you've been a, a wonderful uh, congregation tonight. Thank you for coming out, and I hope that we'll get to see you again. And uh, if we do, uh, next time what we'll do is we'll go through the actual teaching on the end times. And you will be amazed how much detail uh, we have about the Antichrist, how much detail we have about what will happen in the first part of the tribulation, the midpoint and the last part of the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, the millennial kingdom. They're all things that we can look at again at, a, at another time. Okay, God bless you and good night. Uh, so there is a resource table over there that um, Sharon will woman, not man. <laughs> and uh, so you're welcome to have a look at some of those resources over there as well. So thanks, saints, for coming out tonight and battling the freezing cold.